Bobby Sheen, give me a name. Ooh, a name. A name. Let's do Abraham Lincoln. Let's do it. Welcome to Give Me a Name, where a guest presents me, Ben Kirschenbaum, with a dead historical figure they find interesting, and we discuss. Russian writer Leo Tolstoy once said, Of all the great national heroes and statesmen of history, Lincoln is the only real giant. Alexander, Frederick the Great, Caesar, Napoleon, Gladstone, and even Washington stand in greatness of character, in depth of feeling, and in a certain moral power far behind Lincoln. Lincoln was a man of whom a nation has a right to be proud. He was a Christ in miniature, a saint of humanity, whose name will live thousands of years in the legends of future generations. We are still too near to his greatness, and so can hardly appreciate his divine power. But after a few centuries more, our posterity will find him considerably bigger than we do. His genius is still too strong and too powerful for the common understanding, just as the sun is too hot when its light beams directly on us. So, you know, he he liked the guy. Before we get into my conversation with Bobby, I'd like to give a little background on Lincoln and read two of his most famous speeches, both of which Bobby and I reference and also happen to be engraved in the inside of the Lincoln Memorial. So I'm leaving a lot of stuff out. But Abraham Lincoln, he was a congressman from Illinois from 1847 to 1849. After his pretty forgettable one term, he returned to Illinois to resume being a lawyer. And for a while, it seemed like the story was over. Lincoln would just be another forgotten guy in history. Then in 1854, the government passed the Kansas-Nebraska Act. So this act got rid of the Missouri Compromise from 1820. And the Missouri Compromise said that slavery could only exist in states south of the 3630 latitude line. Before the Kansas-Nebraska Act, past, Lincoln was against slavery. He was always against slavery, but he figured that slavery would just eventually go away naturally. But now all the new states, not just the ones south of that latitude line, could potentially have slaves if through popular sovereignty they decided to. So Lincoln, 1854, sees an opening to get back into politics. He has a cause. He does not want slavery to continue spreading. He unsuccessfully runs for Senate twice. But the second time he runs, in 1858, he goes up against Stephen Douglas, who's the architect of the Kansas-Nebraska Act. Lincoln and Douglas have a series of debates, largely about slavery. Lincoln loses the race, but he's starting to make a name for himself. He's giving speeches, and they're good. He's, he's a very good writer and speaker. Perhaps the most famous speech he gives before he announces he's running for president is at Cooper Union in New York and also some of those famous photos by Matthew Brady, those happened right before Cooper Union. That year, he runs for president for the recently established Republican Party. He wins the nomination against all odds. Then he wins the presidency. A little over a month later, South Carolina secedes from the Union. By the time Lincoln's inaugurated in March, six more states have seceded. Mississippi, Florida, Alabama, Georgia, Louisiana, and Texas. These states form the Confederacy, and elect Mississippi Senator Jefferson Davis as their president. On April 12, 1861, Confederate troops fire on Fort Sumter in South Carolina's Charleston Harbor. Civil War has begun. Four more states eventually join the Confederacy, Virginia, Arkansas, North Carolina, and Tennessee. It becomes clear early that the war is not going to be an easy win for the Union. In fact, this four-year war remains the deadliest in American history, with some estimating over 800,000 people dead. Lincoln makes it clear, early on, that it isn't a war to end slavery. In August 1862, he writes, If I could save the Union without freeing any slave, I would do it. And if I could save it by freeing all the slaves, I would do it. And if I could save it by freeing some and leaving others alone, I would also do that. Only a month later, he announces he'll issue an Emancipation Proclamation, freeing all the slaves just in the Confederacy, as a war measure. So that means that the states that are actually still in the Union but have slavery, those slaves are not free. Delaware, Kentucky, Maryland, and Missouri. The proclamation comes into effect January 1st, 1863. Over the course of that year, Lincoln's starting to make it seem like the purpose of the war is changing. It's becoming about something bigger. On the afternoon of November 19th, 1863, Lincoln gives a few remarks at Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, 
to honor the soldiers who died there in the bloodiest battle fought ever on American soil. Here's what he says. It's, you know, you might recognize it. Four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation, conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. Now we are engaged in a great civil war, testing whether that nation or any nation so conceived and so dedicated can long endure. We are met on a great battlefield of that war. We have come to dedicate a portion of that field as a final resting place for those who here gave their lives that that nation might live. It is altogether fitting and proper that we should do this. But in a larger sense, we cannot dedicate, we cannot consecrate, we cannot hallow this ground. The brave men living and dead who struggled here have consecrated it, far above our poor power to add or detract. The world will little note nor long remember what we say here, but it can never forget what they did here. It is for us the living, rather, to be dedicated here to the unfinished work which they who fought here have thus far so nobly advanced. It is rather for us to be here dedicated to the great task remaining before us, that from these honored dead we take increased devotion to that cause for which they gave the last full measure of devotion, that we here highly resolve that these dead shall not have died in vain, that this nation, under God, shall have a new birth of freedom, and that government of the people, by the people, for the people, shall not perish from the earth. And there are a few different versions of the Gettysburg Address, so it's the Bliss copy that I just read. So that's end of 1863. When Lincoln runs for re-election in 1864, he is all in on complete emancipation. The 13th Amendment to the Constitution abolishing slavery in the United States passes in the House of Representatives on January 31st, 1865. In March, Lincoln delivers his second inaugural address. And here we go. Fellow countrymen, at this second appearing to take the oath of the presidential office, there is less occasion for an extended address than there was at the first. Then a statement somewhat in detail of a course to be pursued seemed fitting and proper. Now, at the expiration of four years, during which public declarations have been constantly called forth on every point and phase of the great contest, which still absorbs the attention and engrosses the energies of the nation, little that is new could be presented. The progress of our arms, upon which all else chiefly depends, is as well known to the public as to myself, and it is, I trust, reasonably satisfactory and encouraging to all. With high hope for the future, no prediction in regard to it is ventured. On the occasion corresponding to this four years ago, all thoughts were anxiously directed to an impending civil war. All dreaded it. All sought to avert it. While the inaugural address was being delivered from this place, devoted altogether to saving the Union without war, insurgent agents were in the city seeking to destroy it without war, seeking to dissolve the Union and divide effects by negotiation. Both parties deprecated war, but one of them would make war rather than let the nation survive, and the other would accept war rather than let it perish. And the war came. One-eighth of the whole population were colored slaves, not distributed generally over the Union, but localized in the southern part of it. These slaves constituted a peculiar and powerful interest. All knew that this interest was somehow the cause of the war. To strengthen, perpetuate, and extend this interest was the object for which the insurgents would rend the Union, even by war, while the government claimed no right to do more than to restrict the territorial enlargement of it. Neither party expected for the war the magnitude or the duration which it has already attained. Neither anticipated that the cause of the conflict might cease with or even before the conflict itself should cease. Each looked for an easier triumph and a result less fundamental and astounding. Both read the same Bible and prayed to the same God and each invokes his aid against the other. It may seem strange that any men should dare to ask a just God's assistance in wringing their bread from the sweat of other men's faces, but let us judge, not that we be not judged. The prayers of both could not be answered. That of neither has been answered fully. The Almighty has his own purposes, 
Woe unto the world because of offenses, for it must needs be that offenses come, but woe to that man by whom the offense cometh. If we shall suppose that American slavery is one of those offenses which in the providence of God must needs come, but which having continued through his appointed time, he now wills to remove, and that he gives to both north and south this terrible war as the woe due to those by whom the offense came, shall we discern therein any departure from those divine attributes which the believers in a living God always ascribe to him. Fondly do we hope, fervently do we pray, that this mighty scourge of war may speedily pass away. Yet if God wills that it continue until all the wealth piled by the bondsman's 250 years of unrequited toil shall be sunk until every drop of blood drawn with the lash shall be paid by another drawn with the sword, as was said 3,000 years ago, so still it must be said, the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. With malice toward none, with charity for all, with firmness in the right as God gives us to see the right, let us strive on to finish the work we are in to bind up the nation's wounds, to care for him who shall have borne the battle, and for his widow and his orphan, to do all which may achieve and cherish a just and lasting peace among ourselves and with all nations. Not completely easy to understand, but part of the gist of it is we fought this war because of the sin of slavery. So he's singing a very different tune than he was four years earlier. Both the North and the South deserve some of the blame. Now let's move on together. General Robert E. Lee surrenders to Union General Ulysses S. Grant at Appomattox on April 9, 1865, so just a little over a month later. Five days after that, the actor John Wilkes Booth shoots President Lincoln in the back of the head. Lincoln died the next morning, 7.22 a.m., April 15, 1865. All right, let's get to the conversation with Bobby. Here we go. Here we so go. this is episode 70-something, maybe even 80. And we haven't done Lincoln, a man that a historian, Eric Foner, said has been written about more than any other person aside from Jesus Christ. Yes. Yes. And some parallels to Jesus Christ, too. Shot on Good Friday. Shot on Good Friday, though he died the next day. Yes. Yeah. That's Which makes it a little less fun. It's not as good. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Why, why did he hold out yeah. <laughs> for as long as he did? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and Mary Todd was so uh, hysterical. I think people, by the way, are mean to Mary Todd. I completely agree. Mm-hmm. Completely. Yeah. And she, two sons, they had four kids. Mm-hmm. Two of them died. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them died while Lincoln was president, mm-hmm. Willie, who apparently was like a lot like Lincoln. And- well, I'm a lot like Lincoln, too, because his son, <laughs> his son, Willie, he died, you know, very young and it depressed Lincoln to, like to no end. And so he and I are both sad about our little willies. <laughs> Is that why you chose him? Yeah. <laughs> you chose him that. for one bit <laughs> to be made in the first minute. <laughs> of the... That's it. That's yeah. it. For Abraham Lincoln, Thanks the guy so that should. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, all right. Well, we got what we needed to get. Now let's just do the, uh, mm-hmm. the, the extra whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, 58 minutes of filler now. <laughs> So Abraham Lincoln, 16th president, president, 16th president of the United States. I don't even know where to, I guess we begin in 1809 at a log cabin in Kentucky. Mm-hmm. Real thing. He was born in a log cabin. That's not just like some made up, you know, thing for, for making him a good story. So, it, yeah, to me, it's like um, if you ever watch an old movie and the guy is a police officer and he's he says, I'm one day away from retirement and you roll your eyes and you're like what a stupid trope but you're like no that's the first time anyone's ever come up with that you know that's why it's a trope i don't know what movie started it but there's a movie that started on one day from retirement lethal weapon maybe probably or maybe maybe we may go even further Mm -hmm. back 
Um, might have been Lincoln. Might, Lincoln might have been. <laughs> yeah, Lincoln's at Ford's Theater, and he goes, I'm actually one day away from the time. <laughs> I know it's early in my second term, but I'm feeling like this is the end here. And then there's a guy that looks like a little like him, but the top hat's a little different, and he's a, a president that plays by his own rules. And he's like, whatever, old man. <laughs> you know. But but the the uh, born in a log cabin thing, we like roll our eyes now, right? But it didn't used to be cool to be from humble beginnings. Yes, and he's from the frontier. He's the first president not born in the original 13 colonies. Yes. And he's kind of gangly and mm-hmm. awkward. Mm-hmm. He's will be made fun of because he wears pants that are too short mm-hmm. um, and is just not like, you know, the civilized guy that people want. Mm-hmm. And he grew up in complete poverty. The story that is interesting to me, I was about to say like, I don't like the story, but so his mom dies when he's only, I think, nine years old. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, his mom dies when he's a little boy. His father goes to like the big town to find a new wife, leaving Lincoln and his sister behind when they're just little kids. In like a part of the country that was still like there were wild animals that could eat you. And when he finally comes back, first of all, he's successful. He finds a wife. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he comes back and the kids are like animals. They've been fending for themselves mm-hmm. in the wild for yeah. you know months. Lincoln had an older sister. And who died, I think, when he was 18. And people sh- just kept dropping dead in Lincoln's life. So here's the thing. He loses so many people starting from a young age. And I feel like this is a question that comes up a lot in this podcast where it's like, you know, history from over 100 years ago. Do you feel like when people die so much more regularly at a young age, are you just as sad as now? Or do you become a little numb or like it's a little more expected? I think... I think there was a, 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 up until very recently, there was a stoicism that was expected of men, and most men were good at fulfilling that expectation, but I think they were just as sad. I think when you someone close to you dies, you're going to be sad regardless, I, it, even if it's like a regular occurrence. I mean, I, I, I have some people in my life that work in the healthcare industry, and they watch people die, and they're strangers, and they get used to it, but they never, it never stops making them sad. Yeah. You know I mean? So I'm gonna, I'm gonna go ahead and say like, if you know, because I think, I think I read somewhere that uh, in the 19th century, if you had four kids, one of them would die at infancy. It was just not unusual, but I think it's like as traumatic as it would be now. So just to run through the roster of losses, mm-hmm. we've got mother when he's a little kid, mm-hmm. sister when he's a teenager or late teen, mm-hmm. and Rutledge, mm-hmm. who is the woman that some historians say was like his first love. She sounds hot, dude. I, I mean, undeniably. You ever read about someone in history and you're like, okay, they can't say like smoke show. <laughs> You know what I mean? Then they say like weird shit like her skin was the color of autumn. And you're like, what does that mean? (laughs) It means smoke show. That's what it means. Or like skin the color of spring. It's (laughs) it's too much. Even Mary Todd, they say voluptuous. And I'm like, that has to mean she had big titties, right? I mean, you can't say the first lady had big titties, but that's what it sounds like to me. Doris Kearns Goodwin is not going to go on a page just like about how big her tits are. Our first BBW first lady. (laughs) So, wait, what? So, all right, so Rutledge, the, the first love of his life, and then two sons, uh, Edward when he's uh, three years old, and then losing Willie when he's in office. Mm-hmm. And like you said, Mary Todd gets so much shit for being crazy or whatever, especially after Lincoln dies, but she has to deal with the death of two sons. She has to deal with the death of Lincoln, mm-hmm. and she's just an emotional person. And she didn't have the strength that Lincoln had, which is that he was very likable. I mean, the only people that didn't like Lincoln were his political adversaries. Some of the people from the South, not all of them. Like some of yeah. them even grow to respect him. At the beginning of Team of Rivals, the Doris Kearns Goodwin book, it's this great. So the whole premise of that book, the reason why it's called Team of Rivals, is that it's not just about Lincoln, but about the three people that ran against him for the Republican nomination in 1860 mm-hmm. and how Lincoln beat them and then put them all in his cabinet, beat mm-hmm. them against all odds. Mm-hmm. He was, you know, uh, definitely an underdog dark horse candidate which is so i mean like the whole story is just so good i just mm. <laughs> yeah it sounds like if, if he wasn't part of uh, like our historical consciousness in america if that was a fictional movie you'd be like this is this is too much <laughs> you know like really lincoln beats seward seward who is like 
the handsome rich kid that was supposed to be president. And I think was already popping the champagne. Yeah. Was like, this is it. We're going to get it. Lincoln's strategy. So he goes against Seward, Chase, and Bates, Mm -hmm. all of whom had much more experience. Lincoln was a congressman for two years. Mm -hmm. You know, he was in state legislature Mm -hmm. or whatever. And he was a congressman over a decade earlier. So it's not even like, I mean, just nothing. Mm -hmm. And Seward's popping the champagne. And... Lincoln's basic strategy, other than just working harder than everyone and giving insanely good speeches, is I'm going to be everyone's second choice. Mm -hmm. And then the other guys are going to go after each other and be way more alienating. And once people realize that none of them have the majority, then they'll all just go to Lincoln as a second choice. And it works perfectly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like it's the same strategy that George W. Bush's brother Jeb Bush. I feel like that was Jeb Bush strategy, but it like totally didn't work at all. <laughs> because the thing that he was missing and the thing that Mary Todd was missing is that Lincoln is super likable. And then if you're unlikable, you know what I mean? Like, like Mary Todd, I think was so unlikable that people couldn't even empathize with her when one of her kids died. <laughs> Can you imagine being so unlikable? Like you're at your son's funeral and everyone's like still like, oh, but she's such a nag. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> so true she's also i mean the uh she's a shopaholic mary todd and she gets so much shit for that mm-hmm. she gets she was born in like a rich kentucky family mm-hmm. and yet even though she's kind of an aristocrat they also give her a lot of slack for like you know oh she's not classy she's right. not part of the elite whatever which is like just factually not true yeah yeah mary todd her siblings part of the confederacy mm-hmm. so that's the other thing where it's like she's not really a northerner she's not really tied to us she's mm-hmm. a traitor or whatever yeah and she must have loved lincoln i know that sounds stupid because they were married but that's still a new concept in the ninth, 19th century yeah you don't have to love your husband or yeah. wife yeah absolutely <laughs> but there's no other explanation because she i mean she didn't meet him at the finish line of success she was running with him and believed in him and really she was as ambitious as he was. And she had big titties. And she had big tits. That's two great things about her. Really three, if you think about it. <laughs> um, but she, yeah, believed in the guy from from the beginning. The fun fact is that, so Lincoln loses what might have been the love of his life, Ann Rutledge. Then he's in the state legislature. He has a lot of odd jobs when he moves to Illinois, where it's like he's the postmaster. Mm -hmm. And there are great stories of him reading people's mail and newspapers because he's just such a voracious reader and Mm -hmm. just wants to get any piece of information he can get. Yeah. Sometimes you got to commit a felony because you love reading. (laughs) That's a nerd. (laughs) That's a fucking nerd. What are you in for, Abe? (laughs) Correspondence? Curiosity? (laughs) I just really wanted to read the Herald. (laughs) And he... Also, just like to say, I mean, there's so many impressive things about the guy. I'm sorry. I I will say some negatives, but Mm -hmm. I just like uh, we're already 10 minutes in or whatever. But I just love the guy. Like, I I admire him so much. Mm -hmm. I assume you do, too, just because you chose him. But it's interesting. I bring up Lincoln when people I feel like get overly cynical about politicians. Mm. Like he is a great one. And and maybe maybe the ability to be that good now is more difficult sure but it might still be possible yeah you know i mean jeb bush for example <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> not, not to go on a jeb bush tangent but what made- that was actually abraham lincoln's slogan was abraham exclamation point <laughs> <laughs> when i saw during the 2016 rnc debates yeah. and when it was really like it was it was like Jeb and Rubio were the guys, right. and Trump was, even though everybody knows who Trump is, like politically he was the dark horse candidate. Right. And the point at which I knew Jeb wasn't going to win, do you remember Trump was saying like low energy Jeb, like Jeb is low energy? Yeah, for sure. And Jeb is standing next to him, and he makes, in reference to being called low energy, a self-deprecating joke about him being low energy, Right. and Trump gives him a low five, and I'm like... Jeb's not going to be our president. Ooh. That's not, <laughs> that he totally misread the situation. Self-deprecation mm-hmm. is an interesting thing too when you talk about Lincoln. Yes, Lincoln, mm-hmm. who was 
known as being I don't know it was kind of confusing whether people actually thought he was funny or whether he just thought he was really funny right but he would make jokes and some of them are very funny there was mm-hmm. one where apparently a woman passed him on the street and said took out her gun mm-hmm. and was like I promised myself if I ever saw a man uglier than me mm-hmm. then I would shoot him and Lincoln was like well if I'm uglier than you then shoot away <laughs> <laughs> oh but the other self-deprecating one which I love is the uh, someone calls him a rival or someone in his speech calls him two-faced mm-hmm. and he's like if i had two faces you really think i would choose this one yeah that's that's a bar honestly that's um oh i i i like uh i'm paraphrasing but he once said i have a hard time resisting temptation so i'm glad that god made me a man because because if i was a woman i would say yes to every suitor but then again if i was a woman i would still probably look like me so that might not have been an issue (laughs) (laughs) maybe just has terrible self-esteem maybe these aren't jokes at all i think i think they might i think they might be both i also think that he was from the frontier and he was one of the few people that took reading intellectual pursuits in general seriously seriously so i think sometimes he was like let me not look condescending in front of my peers and that's like a great way to do it be like listen i know i look kind of weird as a guy who also looks kind of weird it is an it is a nice way to disarm people did you get that for blanket yes (laughs) yeah Yeah. by the way you do not look kind of weird i feel like i look kind of weird that's the first thing i have in common with lincoln and the second thing is um not to be controversial but i hate slavery <laughs> All right. Well, I mean, it took us 15 minutes for you to fucking say that. I mean, <laughs> the audience this whole time was thinking like, you know, he didn't really say that he loved Lincoln. Where does he stand? Maybe he just likes him as a funny guy but doesn't agree with his policies. Yes. I do I do like his personality. That's number 1 is his personality. What I like about it. I do like that he was against slavery. Uh if we you mentioned we should say unlikable things about him. Yeah. He has made two unlikable statements. Um, around slavery that I feel like today, if he was on Twitter, he would have been eviscerated. And the first one is that he, and I'm paraphrasing, of course, but he said he could empathize with the plight of the slave because his dad worked him like a slave when he was a child. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Which, I mean, making the comparison to slavery is too much. Obviously, (laughs) slaves are, you know, know, stripped of all their dignity in addition. Mm -hmm. Obviously, that's a bit too much. Mm -hmm. What I will say is that at that age, before you were 21, mm-hmm. you were basically the property of your parents. Yes. So his dad did work him like a dog. Also, the dad's like totally abusive. Piece of shit. Hated. I'm going to go on record as saying piece of shit. Anti-slavery, piece of shit, mm-hmm. dad. Okay, got it. <laughs> so his dad hated that he was a reader. Mm-hmm. Um, his stepmom was actually kind of nice. And his mom, apparently, he like loved. Ancestor of Tom Hanks. Ancestor of Tom Hanks. Isn't that weird? Yeah, wow. her last name is Hanks. I see it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I, see, I see the resemblance. <laughs> Nancy Hanks, I think. Okay, so you said two two bad comments. So that comment, which mm-hmm. is obviously something that he would get canceled for. Mm-hmm. Hey, what's the second thing? Uh, also slavery related, he said something along the lines of, again, paraphrasing, is that uh, my wife hits me a lot, so I get it. <laughs> <laughs> and it wasn't a joke. He was like... And I guess it's a good impulse to be to try to empathize with other people, but I would have kept those two thoughts to myself. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Also, doesn't have a great record with Native Americans, although frankly, who did? Uh, that grandfather time was killed by one. Grandfather was killed by Native Americans, and also there's a story because I was reading stuff up when you know there was a few, a few statues that came down of Lincoln, or they wanted to take some statues down, and I was mm-hmm. like what like what possibly could it be mm-hmm. and it seems like the native american thing might have been part of it mm-hmm. because there was an execution of 38 sioux there was a war against the sioux indians and mm-hmm. there was like a execution but then you read more about it and it's like lincoln actually pardoned like a couple hundred of them not that it's justified to mm-hmm. execute anyone but again relative to james buchanan or mm-hmm. andrew johnson i mean it's not even comparable yeah and and also like I think he was a captain during one of the Black Hawk Wars. Yeah. And um I think uh sometimes in our twenty first century brains we have the way of looking at any conflict with Native Americans as being like it was manifest destiny. But it may have been a little more complicated than that. Like if you're on the frontier, you're in like rural Illinois you might be subject, uh, subjugate, subjected. Thank yes. you. You might be <laughs> subjugated is the wrong word. <laughs> you might be subjected to a raid 
by you know the sewer, the Blackhawk, or whatever. So I think it's um in like little fragments, it's a little more understandable. You right. Know, I don't know if every battle that happened was like this Andrew Jackson. We got to go all the way to the Pacific. You know? Yeah. So when it comes to that, will get me canceled. You guys want to clip that and put it on Twitter? <laughs> All right, let's move on quickly. So uh, that was good for the Native American section. Um, so here's my thing about, okay, uh, I'm going to name, how about we go, let's go to the positives. Mm-hmm. Why don't we go back and forth in terms of things we admire about Lincoln? Okay. You start. Ooh, um, very tall. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> for the record, Bobby is how tall? I am, I'm only 5'10". So, no, I'm a respectable 5'6", certified short king. But what I like about Lincoln, actually, to be honest, what I like about him is that he is, like, a strange-looking dude. Like, he was tall, but not a good tall. He was, uh, I think, 6'5"? I think they list him usually as, (laughs) when he boxed, they usually list him at about Uh 6'3", (laughs) 6'4". Which, that, yeah, that is, uh, first of all, you start to go beyond chad and more like you know gangly freak right that right, right, no right. offense to anybody that's listening that's at all but uh no no, no we don't allow that very yeah. skinny <laughs> very skinny and just awkward looking you said like you know back then he couldn't go to men's warehouse so his all his shorts until he was president literally all of his pants rather were up to his ankles mm. you know like you could see ankle which you know was very you know, controversial mm. well maybe for men it wasn't yeah i like that lincoln was a weird looking guy uh, self-deprecating in a way that I feel like he almost had to be. I always think of Lincoln in every situation in his life as being Eminem in the beginning of 8 Mile when he comes on stage and the crowd doesn't know who he is yet and you can hear the murmuring of like, who is this guy and what the fuck is he doing here? You know, And already like the chips are stacked against him and his opponent is standing there and he's ready. And, and uh, I, I like Lincoln and Eminem because they're both two guys that got the respect of black people. I <laughs> yes. find that that's, it's very difficult to do. So it's also very admirable, but I, so but when he was in the frontier, he was like a nerd that loved books, mm-hmm. you know, I, like everyone around him was like, this guy's gay for books, dude. What the fuck? No, he loved, mm-hmm. loved books and he loved all kinds of books mm-hmm. and you see it in his writing. Cause I was going to say the first thing that I would not that it's like my number one, but one thing that comes to mind when I admire about him, he might be the greatest writer in American history. Mm-hmm. You can put him up against any novelist, any historian. Mm-hmm. His speeches are, I mean, just beautiful. Mm-hmm. And he gets that purely from reading. He had, he said that he had one year cumulatively of schooling. Mm-hmm. So he's reading adventure books like Pilgrim's Promise. He's reading Aesop's Fables. He's reading Shakespeare. The other cool thing that he reads is Euclid's Elements. He likes math, and he particularly likes mathematical proofs and logic Mm -hmm. and you see that in a lot of his notes and a lot of his writing the Mm -hmm. way that if he's trying to prove a point it's incredibly logical it's incredibly mathematical Mm -hmm. um so i love the the writing aspect of all this stuff and the bible obviously is Mm -hmm. the other biggie that he's knows in and out he loves the bible so much even though he might not even believe in god right Right, (laughs) i mean actually he believes in god but he's so irreligious that to the average person, he might as well be an atheist. It seemed like he was kind of a founding fathers type guy, like mm-hmm. a deist. Yeah. That, but then when you read the later speeches, so oh, so this was going to say mm-hmm. the main thing I admire about the guy mm-hmm. is that you can find a lot of quotes, especially earlier in his career, that are cancelable. I mean, the guy believed in even he was always anti-slavery, so that that he was, mm-hmm. and and you know, so he had a that foundation, mm-hmm. but. He, even right before the Emancipation Proclamation, Mm -hmm. believes in colonizing blacks Mm -hmm. to Africa or to the Caribbean or something like that. When he runs for president, I mean, he's not for emancipation at all. He just doesn't want slavery to spread into the new territories. He wants it to stay in the South, and he assumes that it'll die a death eventually. But the guy grows. Like, who grows? Like, who? what other person in just four years from 1861 to 1865... Mm -hmm totally changes from the guy who gave his first inaugural which is you know listen we're not going to touch if you if you don't rebel mm-hmm. we're not going to touch slavery mm-hmm. to the guy in 1865 who's like we have suffered you know like the reason why we fought is because of the sin of slavery and <laughs> such a wild thing to say <laughs> yeah i mean he makes he's, it. he's not wrong but i i just the balls for him to get out he's like listen i know a lot of your sons and fathers and brothers are dead 
But we're a sinful nation, baby. Yeah, but, but that's, I mean, it's what he says in the first, I mean, it's an insane thing to say. And, but to give it, and Gettysburg is the other great example where it's like, he wants to give this war meaning. I mean, like, if you lost your son, if you lost, you know, your husband, like, for what? And he, through his speeches and beautiful language, is like, no, they, they, they didn't die in vain from the, you know, Gettysburg Address. Ah, the guy's great. <laughs> yeah, he, um... He was always the weird guy, because which is what I admire about him, is that when he was in the prairie, he was a bookworm. And then when he's in the White House, he's surrounded by people that are rolling their eyes at what a fucking country bumpkin he is. Yep. And I love that. I and love the people in his cabinet, place. who he chose, mm-hmm. the guys I mentioned, also Stanton, yeah. who is his secretary of war. And for those of you just listening, Bobby made like a, a vomit <laughs> face. No, no. Shout out to Stanton. I think he eventually came along. Um, you know who I really don't like is Chase. Everything about Chase makes is is annoying. He was conniving, that mm-hmm. guy. Chase is the comedian that uh, uh, writes uh, paragraphs about art uh, as a Facebook status. That's Ooh. that's Chase if he was alive today. Ah, that's <laughs> below the belt. I think that that's, that's too much. Yet yeah, Chase is the guy from Ohio who he beats for president. Another guy that like was more qualified than him. I think he was the governor of Ohio, mm-hmm. and he makes Chase his first his secretary of treasury, mm-hmm. and Chase is like plotting to try to become president. Mm-hmm. Before, you know, in in four years, basically from the beginning of the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And Lincoln's like, now nah, I'm going to keep him. He's my he, he's good at his job. Yeah. And that was his thing. He was like, if I, people can insult me. People can do whatever they want. They could say shit behind my back. Mm-hmm. If they're good at their job, they're in my cabinet. I need good people. It's like, And Lincoln wasn't dumb. I feel like some people in his life, like the way that they would talk to him about Chase, they're like, dude, Chase is trying to he might literally run against you for re-election. He's like, yeah, that's fine. But like, dude, Lincoln's so dumb. I'm like, no, Lincoln is Machiavellian in a way, but it's he's Machiavellian for the preservation of the Union. You know what I mean? So yes. there's a greater cause. He doesn't care about winning re-election. The only, he only cares about winning the re-election insofar that it's good for the preservation of the Union. Yes. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of, oh, just to finish the Chase story, not only then at the end of the story, he makes Chase the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court. Yes. This guy who was like, you know, bad-mouthing him all the time. Mm-hmm. I wanted to say uh, two things. One thing is that he, in some ways, I think that this personality trait might have been too much okay. and I use that with the example of George McClellan one of his main generals see I'm I'm sad that I wasted my ick face for Stanton <laughs> because General McClellan the idea of him upsets me as if he's a person alive today that personally wronged me <laughs> that's how much I hate Jordan McClellan McClellan is like a total dick to Lincoln there's one, ex- so he's the head of the Union General, one of the guys, there's a bunch of them, but one of the guys before Grant finally secures the job, mm-hmm. and he snubs Lincoln one time where, like, Lincoln is there, I think, with Seward to meet him. McClellan goes up to his room and then has a servant come down and say, sorry, he's, like, he's gone to bed. <laughs> he's he's busy. The balls. <laughs> and and um, I think Lincoln's response was, like, well, he's... You know, as long as he wins battles, and the thing about McClellan is he fucking didn't win battles. And he was very passive. He mm-hmm. didn't go after stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was, Lincoln said at some point, again, I'm paraphrasing, but he's like, you've built a great army like McClellan. Mm-hmm. You mind if I borrow it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which, again, another bar, like a like a good line. Oh, yeah. Another oh, a bar. <laughs> you, you looked at me like pub? <laughs> <laughs> you mean because he was a lawyer? Or what, are, <laughs> what is this bar you speak of? Okay. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, I think there's a level of um, self-deferation. Is that a word? Help me with this. Deference? Deference. Self-deference. Maybe? Thank you. Which is like, damaging because, like, you know, he's with Seward who... Even though he looks up to Seward, Seward is his is his subordinate. Yeah, you know what I mean. So you're gonna let another subordinate disrespect you in front of another subordinate. Like he really should. Like Lincoln, I'm sorry if you're listening. You <laughs> there's an afterlife. By the way, he looked down for yeah. some reason when he said that. <laughs> oh yeah. No, if there's a heaven, Lincoln's up yeah. there. 
Like he should he should have went upstairs and went, "Hey, motherfucker, get out of bed and talk to me." But that was another thing about Lincoln, mm-hmm. which is that the and this is great. There are a bunch of things about Lincoln that I feel like are just good for everyday, day to day advice. Mm-hmm. Lincoln's method of when he would get pissed off, he would often write a letter to someone, mm-hmm. put it in his drawer, and almost always never send it. Mm-hmm. In other words, like if you're mad at someone, you know, get it all out, maybe write it down. Mm-hmm. But then give it a second before and then you a actually. And servant accidentally uh, mails it, and then Lincoln finds out the next day, and he spends the entire episode trying to get the letter. <laughs> that, that'd be a pretty cool, you know, episode of a Lincoln sitcom. <laughs> <laughs> now we're on to something. <laughs> <laughs> Shut the podcast off. Ben and I have to write this sitcom. <laughs> he writes one to uh, another Union general, Meade, who he again felt like at Gettysburg didn't go, wasn't aggressive enough, didn't go after Lee. It's he crazy writes this. Le- how many shitty Union generals? We had. Until we get Grant, yeah. Until, yeah. But he writes a letter to Meade, puts it in his drawer. We don't, no one, historians don't even know about it until years after his death. Mm-hmm. But it was a letter, kind of like reprimanding him, being like, "You should have done that." I'm really pissed off, and he never sent it to the guy, mm-hmm. which is, I, I don't know. I think it's a good uh, way to way to live. I think so. I think that, especially looking at the people around him, like he was so the opposite of Mary Todd. I know. I I got I was just saying people should be nice about Mary Todd. But a negative thing about Mary Todd is she's she's very um, vol- volatile. I almost said emotional, but you could be emotional and 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 still, like, you know, behave properly. But Lincoln was, I feel like, just as emotional, but he... I think therapists would have loved Lincoln. Yes. Because, yeah, I mean, he would literally journal. You know what I mean? Whereas, like, Mary Todd is famous for, Not like, journal, though, like diary. Because, yes. it, because unfortunately, we don't have... We know about Lincoln largely through notes and speeches. Mm-hmm. But he would journal, like, the notes thing. Like, he, That's what I he mean, was yeah. self-reflective. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In a way that, like... I mean, Mary Todd literally would hit servants. Servants, but I mean, like, people you pay to be in your house. Yeah. And you're not allowed to hit them. You know? Not no. slaves is what I'm saying. She didn't have slaves. She had servants. No, no, no. I didn't look confused. Okay. I, I get yeah, that you're not yeah, supposed yeah. to. Hit, you're not supposed to hit anyone, <laughs> really. To, well, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's funny. Yeah, you're not supposed to have slaves, but if you do have slaves, don't hit them. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing. That's in. That might be in the Constitution for all I know. Dude, it's actually wild if you look at uh, people writing. Like in the 19th century, slave owners would be like, listen, this is why slavery is good. That's literally an argument that some of them would make. They're like, listen, I don't hit my slaves. Right, 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 right. right. I'm they, a good guy. Yeah. They like, with the exception of the people that run away and I get them back, everybody loves working for me. Right. You know, it's, yeah, yeah. it's wild, the cognitive dissonance that people had back then. So let's talk a little bit about Lincoln and the most important issue that he's associated with. <laughs> no, oh, actually, before we get to slavery, <laughs> let's talk about the beard. Uh-huh. The beard is a great story. Look at us delaying the slavery issue, just like Lincoln himself. <laughs> <laughs> Kicking the can, just like everyone in America. Well, we're waiting until the 80. podcast listeners are sort of more on board. And- <laughs> yeah, they have to earn their trust. <laughs> the beard story... Grace, I think. Bedell? Grace Bedell? Yes, yes. Grace Bedell mm-hmm. writes to Lincoln right before the election. Mm-hmm. Lincoln it, it doesn't have any facial hair. Mm-hmm. She's like, I think you'd be good. Like, And I think more people, including my family, would vote for you if you grew some whiskers. Mm-hmm. And at first he's like, no, I'm not going <laughs> to do that. And then he shows up for the inauguration and he's got the beard. He's got the Lincoln beard. It's so funny. Link, why do you have a beard? A 12-year-old girl told me I look good. <laughs> <laughs> it might have been a more modern look or something. That would be insane, by the way, if like a modern president was elected with clean facial hair mm-hmm. and then stepped up to be imagine? inaugurated and had like a mustache. Dude, if memes were all around during Lincoln. Yeah. And yeah, he all of a sudden, well, like the precursor to memes, I guess, were political cartoons. And they, they he was like lampooned for being like a, like a beard guy. Because, like, Beard used to be, like, tough. Yes. And Lincoln was... Nobody thought Lincoln was tough. There was things about him being, like, a frontiersman, the rail splitter. But I I think people were quick to call him a country bumpkin before they would call him tough. Right. Well, he's got, like, a little bit of a... There was one person who said Lincoln was equal parts velvet and steel. Ooh. Which, I guess, is, like, the idea that he's, like, gentle and all this stuff. But Mm -hmm. if he gets pissed, he gets pissed. Like, I think of that one scene in the movie Lincoln with yes. Daniel Day-Lewis where he starts mm-hmm. yelling, and he's it's kind of silly because he's got this really high voice, but mm-hmm. still. 
Also, people say with the voice that, like, Daniel Day-Lewis, like, nailed it. Yeah. Which, just based off descriptions or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, shout out to Daniel Day-Lewis. That's what got me excited uh, for reading Team Arrivals is Lincoln, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, apparently, because uh, uh, the way Lincoln is portrayed usually is this very tough stoic man and he was stoic in a lot of ways but i feel like yeah the thing the things that people miss like the way that he had this weird high-pitched voice and that he was always telling jokes to the annoyance apparently there's a scene with stanton in the lincoln movie where he's like i can't listen to another one of your motherfucking stories (laughs) i mean i'm paraphrasing but storms out of the room there was one story that i think they say in the movie but it was one of lincoln's favorite stories Mm -hmm. to tell the one where ethan allen who was a revolutionary war hero goes to england and Mm -hmm. to piss off this american the english put a painting of george washington in the bathroom and they're like, you know, oh, what did you think, Ethan Allen? Like, we put, you know, George Washington in the bathroom. He's like, no, 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 that makes sense. Because, like, when an Englishman shits, or when an Englishman's, ah, fuck, I <laughs> fucked it up. <laughs> Nothing will make an Englishman shit faster than the sight of General George Washington. Thank you. Thank you. I thought the delivery is, it's got to be my own joke in order to deliver. <laughs> I'm not good at telling other people's jokes. <laughs> yeah, especially one that's like, you know, close to 200 years old. <laughs> that's it. It's the test of time. Yeah, do you ever uh, read the portion of the play of My American Cousin that Lincoln was laughing at as he was shot? No, what is it? it it's, I looked it up. I can't even understand why someone would find it funny. It's if you if you got I don't remember it. I can't even it's 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 basically like a woman being like I hate this bitch, but in a very like 19th century way. Okay. So if you guys just want to google like the line in the play that Lincoln laughed at before he was Here, shot. I'll look it up right now. Yeah. I know the the word sockle dazzling is in isn't is involved. Sockle-dazzling old man trap, if memory serves. So I might just be reading a short part of it. it it's, uh, a very, it's like one line. I know enough to turn you inside out, old gal. You sockle old man trap. Yep. Apparently that killed in the 19th century. Well, I mean, I'm reading it. Yeah, yeah. No, Most jokes aren't funny <laughs> yeah, when you yeah. just read it. <laughs> and we don't know the context either. I, I think my American cousin... You know the context. <laughs> what context would make that I don't funny? know in what context sockle-dazzling is funny, but it, I, Lincoln apparently was laughing his balls off when John Wilkes Booth... He was laughing so hard that he didn't notice that someone was walking behind him with a gun. Right. So, and that's, that's why he chose the laugh line, right? Mm-hmm. And Booth knew the play well enough that he's like, oh my God, the sockledigizing is coming up. Dude, and Booth, and I know this this isn't a Booth podcast, but he's fascinating to me because of all of the assassins or attempted assassins of presidents in American history, he's the only one that's not a loser. I mean, I think he's a loser for shooting Lincoln, but like he was a famous actor and was getting a lot of pussy. He's the only presidential assassin to get lots of pussy. I will say that. Because he was a famous actor. Mm-hmm. And, and his brother was like even more famous. Yes, there's this story. It's it's kind of apocryphal, but uh, his dad was a famous actor. Too. The, I think... Uh, they were the terms- Baldwins. I mean, this was like the... Mm-hmm. Yeah. They were the Baldwins, yes. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And... Uh, and... Uh, shots. <laughs> I don't know. All right. <laughs> Yeah, maybe maybe uh, Booth shooting Lincoln was a total accident. He's like, I thought it was a prop gun. They told me they told me it was cleared. Or Baldwin shooting the person on that scene was an homage. It's <laughs> like, well, I, was, I heard there were the modern day Booths, and I just thought, you know. So there's this story that uh, because I I believe the scale of the Booth popularity was Booth's brother, Booth's father, and then Booth himself. Right. In terms of how popular they were, so. Booth was drinking in the bar next door to Ford's Theater, getting ready to shoot Lincoln. And somebody said to him, hey, you're John Wilkes Booth. You're a great actor, but you'll never be as popular as your brother or your father, which, first of all, rude. That's not nice. It's not nice at all. And uh, he is alleged to have said, after tonight, I will be the most famous man in America. Wow. Which is chilling. And, I mean, to his credit, people do say hey, do you know John Wilkes Booth had a famous dad and brother and not the other way around? So well, he was it's hard. Right. It's hard because Don't they were... kill the president, guys, if you're listening to this. <laughs> I know I made a good argument for killing the president, but don't do it. Yeah, right. Unless you're <laughs> less successful than your brother. <laughs> In which case... You want your own Wikipedia page and the admiration of perhaps millions of people. Do not do it. 
But Boo thought that he would be crowned a hero, and he just wasn't. Dude, even in the South, people were like, that was kind of fucked up. You shouldn't have shot. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Partly because people were like, literally starting to come around and being like, wow, Lincoln, first of all, real magnanimous in victory. And he seems like he's going to be really nice to us. And even the more cynical, like, Lincoln-hating people were like, hey, how about we have to be buddies-buddies with the North again? So why don't we not piss them off? Yes. So Booth was so delusional that he's like... The Civil War was all but lost, and he was like, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get everybody pumped up to, like, really... And it's like, no, it's impossible, the North won. Yeah, I mean, Booth heard Lincoln's final address, which mm-hmm. was actually even after his second inaugural, where he said that, that suggested that black people would be given the right to vote, particularly black soldiers, soldiers that had fought in the war. It's so funny, because, he, like, he's going like, hey, Louisiana... Lincoln is going, Louisiana has a constitution. They're going to decide some things in the constitution, including whether black people can vote. And personally, and they could do whatever they want, but personally, I think that some black people, if they're very smart, or soldiers, maybe, I don't know, but maybe they could vote. Yeah. He said all of that, and Booth was like, I have to kill this motherfucker. (laughs) Well, I mean, but I think that from the perspective, to get into the perspective of a racist Southerner, Mm -hmm. basically this guy over the course of the past four years, but really his whole career, moved further and further towards being enlightened, I guess you would Mm -hmm. say, with regard to race relations and slavery. Mm -hmm. So, you know, why isn't, why not, why wouldn't he just keep going? And I think he would have. I I think, I I really do think he would have from a guy who just was against, was always anti-slavery, but was just against the spread of slavery to a person who's suggesting that black people should vote, Mm -hmm. or at least some black people should vote. Mm -hmm. That's a huge, Yeah, that's a big, big change. Mm -hmm. And yes, he was pressured by radical Republicans and Frederick Douglass and William Lloyd Garrison and all these other people, but he did it. Mm -hmm. You know, he signed the Emancipation Proclamation. He did, going back to the Machiavellian thing, he did everything he could to pass the 13th Amendment. Mm-hmm. When he was on board, he wasn't always on board with an amendment to free the slaves, but when he decided that he would shortly before he was reelected, I mean, illegal, I mean, bribery, and there were a lot of, when he was convincing people, it was a lot of lame duck congressmen and senators because they had just mm-hmm. had an election. Mm-hmm. So he went after them and was like, I'll promise you positions, I'll promise your family positions, I'll do all this shit. Yes. And it's like, so Thaddeus Stevens, who was a radical Republican senator from Pennsylvania said that the 13th Amendment was like the purest thing ever done by the purest man in but conducted or accomplished in the most unpure way. So uh, you you reminded me of the the part in the Lincoln movie with Daniel Day-Lewis that you had alluded to is when he's yelling at, a, at his cabinet members. Right. It's like this uh, this short moment where Lincoln is actually angry and raising his voice. But apparently the part of that speech, which was a bit embellished for the movie, is at the end where he says, I'm the president of the United States, cloaked in immense power. You will get me those votes. Yes. Apparently it was actually said like, wink, wink, you, you will get me those votes. So he's not. it wasn't a threat. It was like a promise of patronage. Right, 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 right. Oh, the other thing in terms of Machiavellians, suspending habeas corpus during mm-hmm. the war. Mm-hmm. Which so, I will defend. I, I defend, please defend it. It's it's wild to me that people will be like, hey, that's a little bit totalitarian. I'm like, oh, was there not an insurrection, the largest that has ever been seen ever happening? That might have been. And it. I think people take it as like, because... Basically, Maryland was, if Maryland has successfully seceded, what a a difficult thing to say. Secede is the hardest word. (laughs) The hardest word. Easy thing to do, apparently, but hardest word. (laughs) If Maryland joined the Confederacy, we would have been fucked, I think. Yes, because it surrounds D.C. They take the capital. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think people hear, oh, Lincoln was uh, jailing journalists. What a sensitive uh, Sally. I'm like, no, that's not why. He was... Being like, basically, hey, we got to go balls to the wall to have Maryland not go to the Confederacy. Also, I mean, he's a big Constitution guy, right? He thinks he's against slavery, but thinks the Constitution doesn't allow him to ban slavery. So, you know, he's all about the letter of the law in a lot of ways. But the Constitution wasn't prepared for a civil war on the Mm -hmm. scale that it was. Mm -hmm. Yes, there were certain that like Congress can suspend habeas corpus, not the president, whatever. But it's like. This is, as you're saying, this is unprecedented what the hell is going on. And the part of the Constitution that says habeas corpus can be suspended by Congress in terms of invasion or insurrection. So obviously a civil war is the latter, an insurrection. 
And then the argument that, well, Congress should be able to do it. But I don't like it was during a time where you couldn't even necessarily trust everybody in Congress. And I don't think they were in session at that time. Yes. And eventually they do pass. The Congress does pass a writ of habeas mm-hmm. or, or does pass a, a ban on habeas corpus. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm with you. I mean, I think that there's his whole claim in Gettysburg is that. They're basically they're saving democracy. Mm-hmm. There was this great experiment started by the founders, and we're doing our best to make sure that this experiment isn't just you know a four score and seven year thing. Yeah, but I do think that he holds up to it, like for for the, for the most part, in terms of being the guy who saved the union. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's any part of Lincoln that enjoyed the power. I really, d- I think he wanted to be respected. In fact, he said something along the lines to a friend one time, and he was in his 30s. He was really having a hard time to the, to the extent that people were like taking the razors from his apartment. Yeah, his apartment. yeah. Like he lives in Bushwick. His, <laughs> his cabin, whatever. His cabin, yeah. Well, actually, he was living with a guy, Joshua Speed, his mm-hmm. like best friend mm-hmm. who was like working at the store with him or owned the store. I don't know, that's a separate thing. But they, some people think it might have been a gay thing. But I, don't, uh, I don't think so at all. Yeah. I, in Team Arrivals, they basically explain like, Sleeping in a bed wasn't a thing that gay guys did. Right. Sleeping together in a bed wasn't a gay thing. It was a poor thing. Right. Like right. having a bed na- made. Well, it's a thin the- line. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, listen, I'm just saving money on the rent. And how about save money on the water bill too by showering together? <laughs> I really don't think he was gay. No, I don't think he was yeah. gay. They do. I think that I don't know if Kurtz Goodwin points it out, but someone was like, "Yeah, totally normal thing. Men would sleep in the same bed, especially a poor thing." Four years is a lot, though. (laughs) (laughs) He married, like, kind of later in life, and he broke up with Mary Todd once. Yes. He seemed to be very reluctant. I always, by the way, this is something I like about Lincoln, in in that you like something that you see in yourself. Sure. Very bad at breaking up with people. I'm one of those people, I'm racked with guilt before I do it, as I'm doing it, after I do it, and I feel like... That was kind of a thing that was happening with Lincoln is that, you know, you know, he hooked up with Mary Todd. Yep. And then he they was, got engaged. They got engaged. And he was like, and I know we decided we were going to be nice to Mary Todd during the podcast, but she did. Seem I a little never bit- said anything. <laughs> I never. I never. <laughs> Some people are too mean. Yes, yes, yes. But we can also be critical. She seemed difficult to live with. She seemed very. Yeah, she was an emotional uh, mm-hmm. lady. And Voluptuous, though. You have to give her that. Oh, my God. <laughs> Huge. <laughs> she was also very short. I think she was like five feet, and Which he was so like towered funny, over her. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but the reason why I brought up Joshua Speed, the mm-hmm. companion, is because when he reaches that state of, I guess, depression or, or suicidal depression, he Speed had just announced that he was going to leave. Mm-hmm. Mary Todd en- engagement is broken off. I mean, he breaks it off, but kind of like you said, I mean, mm-hmm. sometimes being the dumper is almost as painful as being the dumpy. Mm-hmm. And he just felt like he hadn't accomplished anything yet. And he yeah. hadn't. And like you said, I think what he, maybe he didn't want power, but what he did want, and it's related, what he did want was to be remembered. Mm-hmm. And I was listening to an interview. I think I, I was listening to an interview with a historian who basically made the point that like from a young age when his mom died and the apparently his mom said something to him on her deathbed that was like basically implying that there is no heaven, that I'm just leaving. But Lincoln would go on after reading and all this stuff to sort of get that almost Greek, ancient Greek or ancient Roman idea of like the way that we live on is through our legacy. Uh And that, that was what he was about. I mean, he literally doesn't kill himself because he's like, no one would remember me. And then the like chilling thing is... Well, two things. One is when he signs the Emancipation Proclamation in one of the most moving lines. And I know the Emancipation Proclamation didn't free all the slaves, and you know it only freed the slaves in the uh, seceded ter- in the seceded states. Mm-hmm. But when he says that, first of all, he was shaking hands all day mm-hmm. that day, and his hand was shaking as he was about to sign it, and he said, "Okay, give me a minute. I need my hand to be steady because I don't want anyone to think that I hesitated or had any doubts about this." Uh-huh. And then he gives the line of, "Oh God, I gotta just read it. Hold on. It's gonna be a little better than the Sockel Daisy Man Trap, I think." So good, dude. Shout out to Lincoln. He's uh, 
Yeah, it's interesting. The Emancipation Proclamation, I think, only freed three quarters of slaves. And of course, it it basically made the Union Army liberators because they weren't at first. In fact, there was this kind of weird thing when the war first started and it was more about preserving the Union and not necessarily uh, freeing the slaves is that you would like obviously invade uh, Confederate territory and then you just have all these slaves and there was like a lot of uh, different opinions about what to do at that time. I remember John Fremont. Yes. You know yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was an abolitionist. Yes. In a way that Lincoln wasn't, as you said, at the time he just wanted to uh, make sure slavery didn't spread. But John Fremont of his own free will is like, all the f- slaves are free. And Lincoln fucking goes like more aggressive than I think you would expect of him is like, hey, I'm the president you return those slaves right now. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which I feel like uh, there's criticism of Lincoln. Yeah. That's obviously the most appropriate criticism, but I, kn- I know what you're about to say is that, you know, if the union collapsed, that doesn't help the abolition of slavery either. Right. You know, and it's real difficult for us um, with our 21st century mind state to kind of realize that, uh, if you wanted to be a moderate, which was the best way to keep the union together, you had to do some Mickey things like that. Or you had to wait. You had to be patient, mm-hmm. which is like, you know, uh, he said about the Emancipation Proclamation in September 1862 is when he declares it that on January 1st, 1863, mm-hmm. that all the slaves in the seceded states would be freed. He says that that timing was perfect mm-hmm. because... Seward had suggested to him, wait until there's a big military victory. Mm -hmm. And they got that at Antietam, which is like the bloodiest day in American history. But um, technically, they won. Mm -hmm. So do it when like things are spirits are high. Mm -hmm. But also, he felt like if he had done it too late, then the boost that they would have gotten from it wouldn't have been away. So like everything was perfectly Mm -hmm. this moment. And I feel like we're uh, not to take away from... I think the true conviction that a lot of abolitionists at the time had, a lot of white abolitionists had, not to take away from that, but I feel like Lincoln was very content to have people on the Republican side mad at him temporarily. And that way he was very selfless. He's like, I know the radical Republicans, they're annoyed that I'm not doing enough, but I know what I'm doing. Yeah. And uh, we'll get there eventually. And he also seems like a guy, first of all, consistently takes the blame if something goes wrong mm-hmm. or it, like his cabinet's blamed for something. He says, no, 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 it was on me mm-hmm. and is willing to share in the glory mm-hmm. with all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. It's also, I think he knew how likable he was mm-hmm. going back to what you were saying. Mm-hmm. Cause like Frederick Douglass, for example, who was a, was a slave mm-hmm. and then became a huge abolitionist and publisher and writer said was like incredibly critical of Lincoln that he wasn't going far enough for most of his life and then afterwards when Douglas actually meets him a few times he said that Lincoln was the only white man he ever met who didn't treat him like he was black which is crazy considering that Douglas was in abolitionist circles with white abolitionists yes with the people that you would think mm-hmm. are the most enlightened and the most progressive mm-hmm. but lincoln the moderate is mm-hmm. actually the guy that treats him like a human being mm-hmm. the line okay so the line when he signs the emancipation proclamation is i never in my life felt more certain that i was doing right than i do in signing this paper if my name ever goes into history it will be for this act and my whole soul is in it mm-hmm and he was right, dude, because that's, I mean, great emancipator. Everybody, everybody thinks of, I, I feel like up until very, very, very recently, it's been Lincoln freed the slaves. And and now I feel like it's like, well, it's a little more complicated than that. It is more complicated mm-hmm. than that, but the real story is better. I yeah. mean, the real story of a guy who grows and a guy who changes with the times is better. It doesn't, he's not a perfect guy, mm-hmm. and but... Um, you know, there's uh, there's a reason why people at his time, people admired him for so long mm-hmm. until college students ripped down his, his, his yeah, statue and, or whatever. And even that, I feel like a generation from now will will be like, well, that was a little crazy. <laughs> you know, we're we're sort of going through it now. Like, I, I I feel like starting in 2020, and we don't have to dwell too too much on this, but like we really are going through like a Vietnam moment. I feel like with people's like dissolution and institutions. So even a Lincoln mm-hmm. is gonna all heroes, all that stuff is gonna be torn down. 
Yeah. And of course, you know, you can make the argument that no one deserves a statue. Mm-hmm. I mean, because everyone is completely. I'm very funny. Bobby Sheen, LOL on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, some sort of stat. Yes. You, you will have some sort of statue mm-hmm. at some point. Mm-hmm. I, I want like to... some sort of stature, to be honest with you. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> um, I won't do that again. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you know, debate whether he deserves a whole memorial or everything named after him, mm-hmm. cities and states and states and not states. But mm-hmm. <laughs> I was just thinking, one day, um, one day, it'll <laughs> Nebraska will just rename the whole state. Like, that's my prediction. Money. He's on money. He's on money. He's on the $5 bill and the penny for our non-American listeners. <laughs> I think even non-American listeners would know that. I think so. I think so. It would be hard for me to think of anything negative other than what we had yeah. just discussed. I think some of his poetry is cringy. Oh, yeah. He has some early poetry that's mm-hmm. uh, that's not as great. All right, man. Well, anything? I, I know you have a new podcast. Oh, Can you oh, tell fan- us a little bit about that? Fantastic. That I read... Uh, time flies when you're talking about Lincoln, I guess. You know, like, like an hour. Hell yeah, yeah dude. So my uh, my podcast is uh, it's called the Before Hours Podcast, and I just started it. And basically, I'm really interested in how people live their day-to-day life, uh, whether people are adhere to a routine or not. I'm a big routine guy. Yes. So when I have mostly comedians come on the podcast, I ask them what their routine is, and we just kind of go from there. I call it the Before Hours Podcast because even though I'm up late at night doing stand-up comedy, I am a morning person. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so, uh, so yeah, that's uh, well, I'll have you on, Benjamin, of course. Oh, I'd love to. Can yeah. I talk about <laughs> Can I talk about Lincoln? I feel like no matter <laughs> what we plan to do when you come on my podcast, we will spend a significant amount of time talking about Abraham Lincoln. That sounds amazing. Yeah. Um, and you have another podcast. Oh, yes. And I have Locker Room Talk with my good friends Joe Gorman and Matt Marin, two very funny comedians. That's a little less structured. We're basically three silly gooses having a nice time on the microphone. All right, man. Thank you so much for coming, for talking to me about Lincoln, and uh, follow Bobby on Instagram and all the stuff. All right? Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. And I'm loath to close. We are not enemies, but friends. We must not be enemies. Though passion may have strained, it must not break our bonds of affection. The mystic cords of memory stretching from every battlefield and patriot grave to every living heart and hearthstone all over this broad land will yet swell the chorus of the Union when again touched, as surely they may be, by the better angels of our nature. Jesus, that was amazing. That He was not reading. For those of you listening, he was not reading. I should have closed my eyes. Oh, my God. Close your eyes. <laughs> no. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah. No, no, no. This is just today. It's just audio. Anyway, thank you so much, Bobby. Thanks for having yeah. me. All right. <laughs>